Hi there. I'm Samantha Selinger-Morris, the host of Please Explain, the daily news podcast from The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. Today, we're bringing you an episode from our archive on Kathleen Fulbig, the Newcastle mother who spent more than 20 years in prison for the deaths of her four children. This episode was published just months before Fulbig was officially pardoned and released after an inquiry found that there was reasonable doubt about her convictions. In this episode, legal affairs reporter Michaela Whitburn talks about what happened in Fulbig's case and how it could change the way forensic evidence is treated in murder trials. We're releasing it for you today on Monday, January 1st. So before we get into the inquiry and what's prompted it in the first place, can you tell us who is Kathleen Fulbig? It sounds like her early life was really traumatic. Yeah, so a big question. Everything we know about Kathleen Fulbig has really been filtered through the lens of her criminal trial, subsequent appeals and inquiries. But what we do know, you're right, is that her early life was traumatic. She was born in 1967 in Sydney's inner west, in Balmain, actually. And by the time she was about 18 months old, her father had killed her mother in Annandale. And a witness at her father's trial said that he'd said, I had to kill her uh, because she'd kill my child, or words to that effect. And she was made a ward of the state after this time and was subsequently placed into foster care. And that's how she came to live in Newcastle, where she'd eventually go on to meet Craig Folbig, her future husband. So not great early life, marred by a lot of tragedy. She would meet Craig in about 1985, so she's 18, and they'd marry within a couple of years, and they'd go on to have four children. As we now know, uh, those four children who were born between 1989 and 1999 would die suddenly in the family's home. My and the circumstances surrounding their death were mysterious. Caleb had no signs of injury after they died on separate occasions, but it was assumed that she smothered them. In fact, it's claimed their mother smothered all of them. First, there was Caleb, who died at 19 days, then Patrick aged... Eight. And she was convicted of the murder of three of her children and the manslaughter of their first child in 2003. Hunter Valley woman Kathleen Folbig has been found guilty of killing her four children. I would like to ask her why. Why, if she knew about the demons that she had inside her, why keep on having more children? Because... These were four innocent children that had the right to live to arrive up. So what else should we know about the case? Because my understanding is the Crown Prosecutor had made a statement like it's never been recorded that the same person has been hit with lightning four times. And that was sort of a pivotal moment. So can you just tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so I should say that there was no particular physical evidence pointing to the cause of death of the children, as in it was clear that they had ceased breathing, but precisely how and why wasn't clear. So there was kind of a mystery at the heart of the case. But one of the things that the Crown raised in her trial was the relative impossibility or lack of probability that four young children from the same family would die suddenly of natural causes. 
So their theory, without it being extremely explicit, was that this was just an unlikely series of events, that it had never been recorded that the same person had been struck by lightning four times. You can't necessarily disprove that pigs might fly. So that was the kind of reasoning that was used in the trial when speaking to the jury. Now, this kind of feeds into a bit of a, well, it is a discredited principle known as Meadows Law, which is not an actual law, which is that one sudden infant death is a tragedy Two is regarded as suspicious and three is murder unless proven otherwise. That's obviously not actually uh, the position in the law and nor is it factual to assert that once you're having multiple sudden infant deaths that it can't be anything other than murder unless you prove it otherwise. But that kind of reasoning did make its way into the trial and how the jury was addressed about these deaths that because of the sheer number of them in this 10-year period, it was automatically regarded as suspicious. And while the onus of proof wasn't technically reversed so that Kathleen Folbig had to prove her innocence, a bit of that reasoning did sort of infect the way the trial was run. So the case was circumstantial and it relied on a range of pieces of information, including Kathleen Folbig's own diaries, which were said to contain essentially confessions of criminal guilt. So Kathleen Fulbig's diaries were central to her original 2003 conviction. So can you tell us why that is? I think that in the absence of physical evidence about how the children died, the diaries loomed large as uh, basically documentary and contemporaneous notes regarding the children's death and Kathleen Fulbig's state of mind. And because she expressed a form of guilt that she felt responsible for the deaths of the children and sometimes used language including, you know, one of her children had died with a bit of help, expressions like that, that was seen as essentially a confession of guilt and that that was one of the strongest pieces of evidence in the trial supporting the Crown case. And were there any other particular statements in her diaries that were seen as confessions of guilt? There were a range. A lot of them were in that sort of line of thinking that the children had died because there'd been a bit of help. Uh, She said that when I think I'm going to lose control like last times, I'll just hand the baby over to someone else. So there was quite a lot of talk in the diaries about her feelings of overwhelm as a parent, feelings of rage sometimes about how the children had behaved, that she'd sort of snapped her cog, she'd sort of got really angry at one of her children and she was sort of ashamed of herself later, but was recognising that perhaps there was a pattern of behaviour that you know, it had been present with some of her earlier children as well. So all of those kind of statements came together in the prosecution case to suggest that she actually had killed her children and didn't just feel responsible for their deaths in a way that a parent might if a child had died suddenly and of natural causes. But putting all of, all of those statements together, the prosecution case and the reasoning that influenced the first inquiry into Kathleen's convictions, because we're now up to the second, Uh, that evidence was considered persuasive of her guilt. Okay, and media commentary at the time of her 2003 trial, it sort of suggested that Kathleen Fulbig didn't grieve in the way that an innocent woman whose children had died would grieve. Is, Is that right? Yeah, so I think post her convictions, certainly uh, a lot of the rhetoric was around, well, certainly that she was Australia's worst 
female serial killer. According to the law, Kathleen Folbig is the worst of the worst. Kathleen Folbig created a web of deceit to cover her unimaginable crimes. For the first time, we can show her... And also that she just didn't sort of fit the mould of a woman who was grieving about the, you know, shock death of four of her children. She seemed, to some commentators' eyes, to be cold and unemotional. Kathy knew exactly what she did. And she knew exactly at the time what she was doing. A serial killer rightly languishing in prison for taking the lives of her four babies. And more interested in her appearance, going to the gym, going dancing, that kind of thing, uh, than she was in being a mother. Obviously, as we know, it is possible for there to be a tension between being a good mother and doing all the other things that you used to do in your former life, and they can coexist without you actually killing your children or wanting to. But yes, that was seen as part of the sort of picture of Kathleen Thorbeek, that she wasn't grieving in the way that she should and didn't appear to mother in the way that mothers should. And now the statements that Thorbeek's made in her diaries are being reconsidered, is that right? That's right. So for the first time in this more recent inquiry into her convictions, we've had evidence tended from psychological and psychiatric experts about the interpretation that can be placed upon the diaries. And all of those experts have said that there is possibly a reading there that she's a grieving mother, a mother who's affected by trauma, and that she's expressing feelings of responsibility for the deaths of her children, but not in a criminal sense. That these are just natural reflections of a mother who's very upset and grieving the loss of her children, and uh, they're not criminal confessions at all. So that's evidence that we've heard for the first time and does place the diaries in a different context. Police interview. Did you kill Caleb? No. Did you kill Patrick? No. Did you try to kill Patrick on that near miss episode? <laughs> no. Did, did you kill Sarah? No. And so you've been covering this inquiry for a while. It's been going since November? That's right. So this is the second inquiry into Kathleen Foley's convictions. It was ordered by the governor last year and it started hearings late last year. And those hearings have continued into the early part of this year. And the former New South Wales Chief Justice Thomas Bathurst, who's overseeing the inquiry, uh, will be hearing closing submissions from the parties next month. And so what has led to this new second inquiry in the first place? Because, especially because there has already been an inquiry into Kathleen Fulbig's conviction in 2019, which reasserted her guilt. So, so why again another one? So at the centre of this new inquiry is a growing body of evidence about a uh, rare or in fact novel genetic uh, variant that was found in Kathleen Folbig and her two daughters post her conviction, which has been linked to sudden infant death and cardiac arrhythmias. A paper was published post the inquiry in 2019 uh, that asserted that it was likely that Kathleen Folbig's two daughters who shared this mutation died of natural, natural causes. causes. One claiming it was almost impossible that she suffocated three of them. She's so in that context, scientific and medical experts actually petitioned for the governor to pardon Kathleen Folbig on the basis that there was reasonable doubt about her convictions. They didn't petition for a second inquiry. They said that the evidence was strong enough that uh, a pardon should just be granted. His report concludes all four Folbig children died due to medical conditions, not suffocation. The inquiry told two-week-old Caleb had a mild to moderate degree of laryngomalacia, the governor and on the advice of the Attorney General went down the path of recommending or in fact ordering that there be a second inquiry to really examine all of this new evidence in public. 
I mean, that's fascinating because my understanding is that there was actually over a hundred scientists, including several Nobel laureates, who signed that petition for uh, Kathleen Fulbig's immediate release. So, is it common for so many members of the scientific community to ask that a criminal be pardoned? No, I do think that scientists uh, have become involved in high-profile public cases and sort of controversial convictions, including the Lindy Chamberlain matter, where there was a controversy about whether or not blood had been found in the Chamberlain's car or whether or not it was in fact another substance. As it turned out, it wasn't blood. But it is a large number of um, members of the scientific and medical community. I think when the original petition was published or given to the government, there were about 90 signatories to it. So that's that's a lot of voices. And we've had a lot of evidence at this inquiry from uh, scientific experts. And Their evidence tends to be in the same direction, which is that no one is saying that this genetic mutation wasn't present in Kathleen Volbig and her daughters. So that's the starting point. They're also not saying that it definitely could not have caused their deaths, but they do divide on whether or not they think it's likely that it did. And so what do you think the chance is that this latest inquiry will find that there is reasonable doubt that Kathleen Volbig killed her children? I think there have been some really interesting pointers during the evidence in this inquiry suggesting that a conclusion of reasonable doubt is more likely this time than previously. I'm not ruling out any particular outcome here, but there was a particularly significant moment when Tom Bathurst, the inquirer, asked counsel assisting Sophie Callan, if we are to look at this genetic evidence in isolation, uh, so, you know, leaving aside the diaries, leaving aside everything else that was heard at Kathleen Folbig's trial, does this evidence alone create a reasonable hypothesis inconsistent with Kathleen Folbig's guilt. And Sophie Callan paused for a moment because this is obviously quite a significant question and then said yes. So we're already getting an indication that at least some of the evidence viewed in isolation does give rise to reasonable doubt. So how Tom Bathurst pulls all those threads of different pieces of evidence together that will be really significant in this case. We know that some of the evidence, according to the view of counsel assisting, does give rise to reasonable doubt already. Wow. So if it is found that there is reasonable doubt, what will happen to Kathleen Fulbig then? So once, if there is a finding of reasonable doubt, um, it certainly creates momentum for there to be a pardon. Because you've essentially got a woman who's been in prison for 20 years um, whose conviction isn't safe. It could be that the pardon happens first and that she is released from prison and then maybe there is a formal process for her convictions to be quashed by the Court of Criminal Appeal. It could be that Tom Bathurst refers the matter immediately to the Court of Criminal Appeal to consider quashing those convictions. He could recommend a pardon, I believe, if he wants to. Or he could simply say in his report that there is reasonable doubt and leave the rest of that process to kind of take place at other stages or other levels of government. So do you think this puts our justice system on notice in terms of the way that it treats women and and particularly women who are convicted or or charged of taboo crimes like harming or killing their children? I think that's a really interesting question. It's pretty uncommon to see cases in which a woman is charged over the death of her children. Obviously, there have been some really high profile examples in Australian history. It's also true that uh, in some of these cases, the women are... uh, sort of treated in a particular way. They're regarded as, you know, cold or calculating or not acting in the way that a mother should. Uh, But the cases are also really fact-specific. I'm not sure what the justice system is going to take from this case, and I don't know what findings Tom Bathurst is going to make. But I think that one of the things that will emerge from this inquiry is that the intersection of, of law and science is quite a tricky one. And it can be hard for either body of experts to really understand the language of the other. 
So we obviously saw that in the Linda Chamberlain matter where there was, uh, you know, doubt that emerged later about scientific evidence suggesting that there was blood in the car when it wasn't. It was a sound deadening material that was sprayed on cars during their manufacture. In this case, we've obviously got a body of evidence emerging and rapidly evolving about this genetic mutation. And I think that it can be difficult for science and law to interact and for law to comprehend what to do with things that are not completely certain. So what can be said about this genetic mutation right now is that it appears to be pathogenic, disease-causing, and that we're at a point in history where the knowledge about what that genetic mutation does is evolving. But Tom Bathurst has to make a decision today. He has to decide if the evidence available today creates reasonable doubt. Fantastic, Michaela. Thank you so much. I'm sure we'll all be looking forward to your next report on this as the inquiry wraps up. Thank you so much for joining us. Pleasure. Today's episode of Please Explain was produced by Julia Carcatzel. Our executive producer is Ruby Schwartz. Please Explain is a production of The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. If you enjoy the show and want more of our journalism, subscribe to our newspapers today. It's the best way to support what we do. Search The Age or smh.com.au forward slash subscribe. I'm Samantha Salinger-Morris. This is Please Explain. Thanks for listening.